Welcome to Talking Technology with Atlas, the show that plugs you into the important topics and trends for technology leaders, all through a unique independent school lens. We'll hear stories from technology directors and other special guests from the independent school community and provide you with focused learning and deep dive topics. And now, please welcome your host, Christina Llewellyn. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Talking Technology with Atlas. I'm Christina Llewellyn, the Executive Director of Atlas. And I'm Hiram Cuervas, the Director of Information Systems and Academic Technology at St. Christopher's School in Richmond, Virginia. Hiram, we're sad today because we have no bill. We do not have a bill. It is a sad day indeed. He and I recorded a session without you, and... That episode just dropped. And I'm not sure if you listened to that episode, but while you were gone, we assigned you some stuff, you know, kind of like in the vein of if you miss a meeting, you get the assignment. So if you haven't listened to that episode, you better go see what your homework assignment is. I know I'm going to have an extensive to-do list, but I'm sure, you know, payback can be hell. (laughs) That's right. So now he's gone. So in the course of this conversation, I think we need to plant a couple of seeds of stuff that we're going to make Bill do in the way of like follow-up. Maybe we should make him edit this episode. Oh, definitely. Definitely. That's a great idea. So we need a lot of ums. We need to start and stop a bunch of times. He'll love it. Um, um. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) All right, Bill, good luck and Godspeed. Today, I'm really excited. I want to jump in with our guest because I will admit that I have definitely a fangirl situation happening with our guest today. Today, we welcome to the podcast Jeff Shields. Jeff, who is the king of all kings at the National Business Officers Association. How about you introduce yourself the real way rather than the fangirl way? But Jeff, welcome to our podcast. Well, we have a mutual admiration society going because I'm a fan of yours as well, Christine. I have been since the first second I met you. I am Jeff Shields. I'm the president and CEO of of MBOA, and MBOA represents nearly 1,400 independent schools across the country, more in Canada, Mexico, and around the globe. We also represent associations, business partners, with the interest of serving business, finance, and operations at pre-K through 12 independent schools. So our primary members are CFOs, controllers, HR professionals, accounting staff, and other folks that contribute to business finance operations. So it's really great to be here on your podcast. And I'm glad I showed up (laughs) because I heard what happens to guys like Bill when they don't show up. So I think I'm smart to have kept this appointment. For real. I mean, you might've been editing this episode, honestly. Exactly. As the guest. (laughs) I am sincerely happy to be here and continue to contribute to Atlas's great success and your leadership, and hopefully provide some insights from CFOs at independent schools for your primary membership group so that we can all advance our independent schools together. Yeah, we have so many areas of crossover that I just have come to truly value and love. But let's start first with, you were one of the first people that I met and interacted with because I came from the association management space. And so I had represented other industries, but I was new to independent schools. And sometimes in and among our colleagues, I felt a little bit like a giraffe among zebras. I just 
felt different. And then I found you and you are another giraffe, except you're a giraffe that's been among the zebras for so long that you for sure can easily flow. I was just in awe of the fact that you had this association management background, but you were also so comfortable in the world of independent schools. So can we start by just learning a little bit about you and kind of your background and how you found yourself in this space? Sure. I appreciate the question. And I relate 100% to how you feel. So I'm going to make it really quick. I was working at the National Association of College University Business Officers. I had a really great run. That is the association for CFOs in higher education. I was there for 10 years. I loved it. I didn't think there was going to be anything better than being the senior vice president of, what was I when I left? Chief planning officer. That's what I was when I left the Kubo. But then this job opened up at MBOA and everyone got in my ear about it. I'm going to share something, Christy, to help you appreciate it. And if I have one speck of influence or one modicum of being part of your tremendous success is that I think I kicked down the door so that more association executives like yourself could find their way into the roles that you're in and others are in within independent schools. Because I'll tell you, I went through the search process and they told me the whole time we're hiring a business officer from an independent school, but they kept advancing me in the search. And I was like, okay, I'll play along as long as you are. And they just kept advancing me and advancing me. And then I got great advice from my search consultant who said, Jeff, just keep doing what you're doing because you're standing out because you're different. Your language is different. How you think about the business of associations is different. So just keep doing it. So that's what happened. I landed in the role at MBOA. I think you feel the same way. I loved higher education, but independent schools have my heart. Oh, absolutely. I serve such an amazing, smart, kind, hardworking membership that it's a pleasure to do what I do. And so I've been doing this for 13 years and I've never looked back. Lucky 13. But believe me, Christina, believe me, when I first started, I thought, how I'm going to remember all these school names. And, you know, in higher ed, New Mexico State was in New Mexico. But St. Christopher's, well, that could be anywhere. It could be. And don't even get me started on any of the other common vernaculars out there for the different types of schools. You're like, which state are you talking about? I thought this is going to be so hard. But I knew the work. I knew CFOs of educational institutions. And that translated. But there's an intimacy within independent schools. The community is much more connected. The relationships are much more important. That's what I thought I really had to learn was the intimacy of your members and mine to the work, to the teachers, to the students, to the families. I think that's the biggest difference I experienced between higher ed and independent schools. But I'm so glad you're a giraffe with me. And (laughs) I think it's been great. Welcome to the zoo, right? Welcome to the zoo. The mentorship that you provided me in those early days really did help me see exactly what you're talking about, that there's this wonderful path and that the partnership can be very powerful. The partnership of expertise around how to run a best-in-class professional association combined with the passion for how our members are delivering on the mission, it's a really great role. And I just want to publicly thank you for being such a wonderful shepherd for me in the early days. You're being very kind, but I do think what we have in common is I think we do really have a strong affinity for our members 
And we both want to build an organization that's worthy of them. That's how I felt. I want them to think of MBOA and be really proud of it and have it convey the stature, the professionalism, the expertise that they deliver every day. I wanted their professional association to reflect that. So if I have achieved that at the end of my run, I'll be a really happy person. And I just get the sense that you feel the same way about your members as well. Yeah, absolutely. And so that kind of leads me to one of my first questions for you. One of my first big questions is that you've been around for 13 years, and I'm curious how the role of the business officer has changed. You know, I think having you on this podcast is going to give our core membership an opportunity to kind of see in, you know, we know technology has changed a lot in 15 years. Tremendously. And it's changed the business officer's role. Yeah. So that's what I want to talk to you about. Tell me a little bit about what it was like in the beginning versus what it's like now. What kind of big picture shifts have you been around to bear witness to? Yeah, it's changed so much. And remembering the audience that's likely listening to this, I will tell you that when I started 13 years ago, business manager was the most common title of our primary member. I would say many of them had oversight of IT and that that IT included the IT that was used in the classroom in addition to the IT to support the operations of the school. So I think they had that. I think there was a strong accounting focus, finance, taxes, kind of that business manager. It conjured up ideas of the green eye shade and the stacks of ledgers and a sharpened pencil. And it's so transformed. And I will tell you, I can almost market time. And I've really been the beneficiary of this trajectory, but I came to MBOA in 2010. Now we had just gotten through the Great Recession. And I think the impact of the Great Recession on heads of schools and trustees predominantly forced the community to look at that chief financial role in a very different way. I think many trustees and many heads of schools felt that we were caught quite flat-footed around the Great Recession. The endowments were supposed to save us, but our endowments are upside down. What are we going to do about families who can't pay this tuition? We've always been nervous about that. We continue to be nervous about that. Very wealthy people all of a sudden weren't wealthy anymore. What are we going to do about it? And so because of all of that, they looked at the role differently. And I'm proud to say today, the primary title is chief financial officer or assistant head of finance and operations. In fact, the title that's growing at a faster rate is the chief operating officer. We're seeing that more and more. So in just 13 years, I mean, that's a pretty big trajectory. I was the business manager, and now I'm the CFO or the COO of this multi-tens of multi-million dollar operation. I mean, that's what changed. But I really start to think about the recession, the impact it had on schools, heads, trustees. And I really think that's what accelerated it. And MBOA was just trying to meet the moment and keep pace with it and keep growing with our primary member, who I now believe are firmly footed as a strategic partner to the head of school. They're in the boardroom. They're a leader at their campus. Very often when the head of school's gone for a long period of time, it's the CFO that might be in charge of the campus. So it's changed tremendously. And the people they hire into that role have changed at the same time. Many grew with the profession, but now what they're looking for has changed. That's so incredible because I really feel it's interesting that the Great Recession was your kind of tectonic shift, right? The plates shifting under your feet. And that's what happened in technology with the pandemic. Yes, yes. That's so funny. It's very similar. Yep. 
it was some kind of big external force that nudged it into a leadership role. And so that's interesting to me because we at Atlas find ourselves helping our tech leaders become actual leaders. So I would imagine that now, because that role has changed, let's go to that. Let's pause on that. What does the role look like today? I'm sure it's much more than counting pennies. Like it's got to be hard to hire for. It's really interesting because when I talk to business officers, the amount they talk about accounting or finance or the 990 tax, it's minuscule. It, it never really is there. They talk a lot about facilities. They talk a lot about technology. They talk a lot about human resources and the issues of recruiting and retaining a quality staff. They talk a lot about enrollment. I mean, the whole dialogue is elevated. So while they still have oversight on the business finance operational portfolio of a school, which is critically important, World-class education starts with world-class operations supporting it. I believe that 100%. So they still have that in their portfolio, but what they're engaged in is much more elevated. The trustees, I use that as an example, next to the head of school, the CFO at a school provides more staff support to the trustees than any other role. So they are generally managing a number of board-level committees. Like I said, they're in the boardroom and they are that strategic partner role. As the head and trustees build their strategic plan, how do they support it with a strategic financial plan? How do they harness the resources necessary to fulfill not just the mission, but the vision that the head and the trustees have for the school? It's really incredible. Hiram, I don't know if you've had a chance to meet Jeff, but let me do our little podcast introduction. Jeff, this is Hiram. Hiram, that's Jeff. Does this resonate with you, Hiram? I mean, isn't it kind of blowing your mind, the trajectory of a business manager to a CFO and the parallels with like an IT manager into now these CIOs and technology director roles? What are your thoughts on that? You lived through a lot of that. You've been at your school a long time. Yeah, so I've been here at St. Christopher's now for 32 years, and I've started actually as a, uh, a science teacher in the middle school. When you mentioned 2008, I find it really fascinating when you longitudinally, when I look at where we were at that period of time, we were still building the essentially the infrastructure of the school during this time. And there was very little conversation about academic tech in the truest sense. I mean, yeah, you had a, the occasional savvy teacher who developed a web page for their class. But by mid-2000s, you started seeing some student information systems come to being and I would say the budgets were starting to experience a more growth because of the need for some of these centralized systems so that we were perceiving the siloed effect of data being all over the place. And that conversation still happens today. And so to me, what's fascinating is, you know, that tectonic shift, is, as Christina mentioned earlier, I think was also the shift for more academic technology resources being put into place. All of this makes tremendous sense. And the CTO of today is very different than the CTO of yesteryear, because it was really, in all aspects, many times just a glorified network administrator that was put into place who happened to know how to do networking and pull wire and access points and things of that nature. And then today, it's managing the people who are also your instructional techs and who are also navigating the curriculum with the school leadership as well. So it's a fascinating parallel and it'd be a great study, great white paper to examine the, the relationship between these two. It seems like the school has just gotten more complex, right? Things have just gotten elevated because school itself 
is a more complex venture? I will say from where I sit, like I said, the business manager probably had some level of responsibility for IT. I would say the IT manager probably reported into the business manager because that was the level of staffing that the school had available. And that made sense, right? The business finance operations. What I remember quite vividly is as technology emerged and got more complicated, I remember discussions about getting smart boards in every classroom. I hope I'm not dating myself and everyone's like, going to turn this podcast off. But I remember getting smart boards in every classroom. No, I think they're going to go with you. (laughs) They follow. They're with you and they feel that pain. (laughs) But then I remember one of my most vivid recollections about five or six years into my role, but I'm really a horrible person to ask about when the specific times of things, is this discussion of, do we have a technology person for operations and a technology person for ed? Is it merged? Are they partners? Are they equal? I mean, I remember schools really wrestling with their arch org chart in response to how technology needs were changing at independent schools and how do we staff it? And business officers were engaged in that. But the complexity of technology, I think, is what allowed the business officer to focus more in a kind of a different direction of a portfolio, though in some cases, the technology person still is reporting to the business officer. But it also, at the same time, business officers realized that I can't be an expert on anything. And technology was getting so complex, like you said, Christina, that you really were looking for a different level of expertise. Schools needed a different level of expertise. I could say the same thing about human resources, by the way. Oh, for sure. I would say there's a new evolution going on right now with the whole compliance and the cybersecurity and privacy. That's the new shift right now that schools are experiencing in terms of the staffing needs of a school. 100% and cyber insurance. I mean, we've been talking about that. We did a white paper with Atlas on that very topic. And I agree, the complexities of compliance, which if I left that out, I think that's also what drove a lot of the maturation, not just of the CFO role, but like I just mentioned in an aside of the HR professional role because of the complexities of HR compliance within independent schools. So yeah, it's a different ballgame. Our schools are quite different. I'd love to hit on some of those trends that you're seeing, Jeff, or that your core members, your business officers are watching. What are they kind of wrestling right now? And I think my next question will be, what projects are shaking at NBOA? Those things always go hand in hand, right? And I know how you and your team run the organization. So whatever it is that your members are wrestling, I know you guys are then trying to respond and support them. So if I could, what are the things you're watching and what are the things NBOA is kind of working on right now? I think that's a great question. And fortunately or unfortunately, some of the topics Some of the trends, can you call it a trend if it was a trend 13 years ago and it's still a trend today? I mean, I think business officers are very concerned about enrollment, access, affordability of our schools. And I share this story at the beginning of each year. If I'm talking to a business officer for the first time, I say, how's your enrollment look for the year? And if they tell me they're at budget or they've exceeded budget, I know that business officer is going to spend that academic year being strategic doing the strategic work they wanted to do because they've reached that significant threshold of hitting their enrollment number. So interesting. If they tell me we are short, we're short by 20 students, I know that business officer is going to spend that school year trying to plug in that gap. They're going to have to find that revenue someplace else. 
And it's going to take them a while to find it. They're going to be chasing it for a good bit. That's fascinating. Enrollment and finances for the year, obviously go hand in hand. Enrollment is responsible. Admissions, tuition is responsible for 80% of our school's budget, operating budget on an annual basis. And so where goes enrollment? There goes the finances. And so I think that's a big deal, which is why I'm so pleased in really responding to your question. I'm so pleased and grateful to Heather Hurl, her leadership of the Enrollment Management Association, and the strong partnership we formed between EMA and MBOA, because I really think modeling the important partnership between business officers and enrollment managers around what is always near the top of the list, if it's not at the top of the list for most schools, is really important. I'd say secondly is the recruitment and retention of high quality faculty and staff. I have heard so many stories, and I'm sure you are, I mean, I can't imagine a school right now going to market for IT and how challenging that might be if they're looking for a senior level IT professional and they have a vacancy for that. But all positions are challenging. You know, we heard it during the pandemic, food service, bus drivers, maintenance, facilities, teachers, and we all know what's going on with the teacher profession. So I think my members spend a lot of time looking at compensation, benefits, How do we stay competitive? How do we recruit? How do we retain? And to your question, we just released mission anchor compensation strategies after an 18-month research effort to really kind of unearth what we thought was very innovative and new in the space of compensation, and not just for faculty, but for faculty and staff. So we were very fortunate to get some support from the EE Ford Foundation, and we just recently dropped the findings, the research findings, implementation guide, and 10 case studies from independent schools who we think are doing some really new and different things that schools should take a look at and consider. We're really excited about having that conversation throughout the year with our friends at Atlas, yep. the other regional business officer organizations, state and regional associations that just bring that work to life. And the reason why I'm going to highlight that, is I'm going to make one third point, is that the business model, the business model at independent schools is under tremendous strain. So rather than approach it and say, the business model's broken, let's throw it out, let's walk away, start from scratch. What we're trying to do is unpack it. And so what we've done with compensation and benefits is taken the primary expense that our schools have, probably next to facilities deferred maintenance, the primary expense though in the operating budget, let's just say that, take a look at that and let's think differently about that piece of it. And then our next step will be, let's take another big, let's look at tuition. Let's take another look at that and see what's happening in tuition. So kind of break it apart so it's not this big, hairy gorilla staring us in the face and saying, you're never going to touch me. You're never going to change me. And so we're trying to break it apart. So that's why I'm super excited about this research that was just shared with the independent school community to help schools take a step forward and move the needle on compensation and benefits. Can we pause on that for a second? Because this was a really big project. It's very impressive. What surprised you about that research, Jeff? I mean, your team was 18 months into it, but at the end of the day, as the findings started circling back after you've been in the industry for a long time, was there anything that sort of took your breath away or made you at least raise an eyebrow a little and go, oh, that's interesting? Well, I'll tell you something I found tremendously satisfying was that, first of all, so many people wanted to be engaged in the conversation. So we knew we were onto something. 
because the level of response we got from the community on the initial survey work, we did focus groups. I think we did eight focus groups with 10 individuals in each. And these were all from different schools. Everyone wanted to share their story. They they wanted to share and they wanted to learn. So people were really engaged in those conversations. And then I would say very satisfying that we have We have innovative stories to tell. There is new and different happening in our schools. And I'm always excited to hold the mirror up and say, look at this great work you're doing. You are thinking differently. And I don't know about your members, but our members are so humble. And they always think that anything they're doing, no matter how brilliant, how much money it saves, how efficient it helps the school be, they're just like, well, everyone must be doing it. If I thought of it, everyone else must be doing it. No. And so we had a chance to tell really great stories and highlight the partnership between the business officer and the human resources professional. Because obviously when it comes to recruitment, retention, faculty and staff, that's a really important partnership. How can we create a competitive compensation benefits package? And how can we support our HR professionals with recruitment and retention? I love that. And I love that you were able to kind of dig into some of those case studies. If we hover for a second over the idea that there's some retention, massive retention issues in the faculty on this podcast and then in some of the fall speaking opportunities that I had, Jeff, it was funny to me because AI and AI tools are so incredible and can really help the lift of our educators. And yet, as I talked to Hiram and Bill and Bill's wife is an educator, and we were talking about on a recent episode how some teachers feel like they're shortchanging students if they use AI or they're kind of shortcutting or cheating a little bit where they could have AI literally write a lesson plan for a sub in a matter of minutes that they can then just go tweak. But they're not always using those tools because they feel like maybe it's not okay. So it's interesting. Tools are there. The resources are there. It can make us work smarter and more efficiently. It might be able to help with these HR burnout issues. And yet there's a little resistance. So my question for you is, What are you seeing with your business officers? Are they into AI? Are they afraid of AI? Are they leveraging it yet or not yet? Not really. You know, it's so interesting is to hear you talk about it because it's still so new. It feels so new. And I know you're so immersed in it and so well-versed in it. And I just think, you know, I'll go back to that, what I thought was a terrible analogy, but you said it resonated with you. That smart board observation. Remember the smart boards went in the classrooms, but many teachers without sufficient training and professional development use them like the chalkboard because that's what they knew. So I think the same thing has to happen with AI. And I really think this is an important responsibility for IT professionals who are going to be the experts in the lead on this. And that is build that bridge for your faculty build a bridge for them to walk across with you and show them what's waiting on the other side. Show them the advantages, show them the opportunities and give them a menu of options and then let them pick and choose. And you know what it's like, Christina, once I had that first success, then that next success, next success. But I often think about that when I remember when technology was changing so fast and schools didn't know what to invest in and they were buying a lot of tools and what got lost in the shuffle was 
kind of helping the faculty use those tools. And nothing would frustrate a business officer more than say, I found the money for that brand new computer and there it is, it's still in the box in the corner of the classroom. But really, how do we build that bridge for faculty? How do we, you know, I say this a lot about associations, how do we solve for time for our members? But how do we solve for time for the faculty who have so much on their plate how are they going to find the time to understand really the impact? And that's why I'm so grateful you've really taken a leadership role among independent schools to say, don't be afraid of it. Here are the opportunities. And I think our primary job is give people a menu of options and let them choose among many to see what fits them, fits their teaching style, fits their classroom, fits their curriculum or their subject matter expertise, but build that bridge and give them options. Hiram, is your business office using AI at all? I mean, I'm hearing some stories, right? Like people are like, oh, I use it to craft an email or an offer letter. Of course, redacting all sorts of personal information. Absolutely. But like, you know, rewrite that email with a kinder tone. I also heard some folks saying that, you know, I use it to write how many snow day cancellation emails can one person write? Like, (laughs) you know, use it for the mundane stuff. Any of your admin types using it? Yeah, so our advancement office was going to add an archivist position at our school. And this was just on the initial conversations about AI. And and I said, well, let's go ahead and do a a test. And we went ahead and we created a a job description for an archivist position in a K-12 school. Typically, what you would do is if you're on the talent management group, you would end up going to four or five different schools' websites and looking up what their position descriptions were and gathering all that information. And sure enough, what we found was ChatGPT did a wonderful job of summarizing what we were hoping this position would be. And all we had to do was kind of tweak it and personalize it so that it fit our community. It's interesting. I find that when you can personalize the instruction, regardless of if it's introduction to a laptop, introduction to a piece of software, or artificial intelligence, you personalize it and you make it useful for them in their personal lives, all of a sudden it has a, a lot more significance in terms of its overall value. And development office realized quickly, oh, if I could do it for this, I can also do solicitation letters. Ah, I can also write emails. I can also do a whole bunch of other things that take a lot of time. They're leveraging it in directions that I had unanticipated consequences as a result. It was great. Yeah. Well, like Jeff said, just show them once how it works and off they go with their own creative, brilliant minds, right? Yep. I still think we're early on in kind of transformational efficiency or really kind of changing the game. I'm thinking about customer service, right? Because your members and my members are really internal customer service providers, right? In many cases. And so how is it going to transform that? How are we going to be more responsive to our faculty and staff internally? How are we going to be more responsive to our students and families externally? So I think our members are still in the very early stages of thinking about how is it going to change processes within the business office in really significant ways. But I still think it's new. But, you know, I'm hearing you and you're like, it's been around a while, Jeff, come on, let's start using it. I'm like, I mean, didn't it just start in March? I mean, I don't remember. Again, I have the worst timeline of anyone in the world. That's all right. But I'm just saying. AI, been around 60 years, you know. Oh, my God. But we're just now... (laughs) No, it's okay. <laughs> it's been around a while. Well, then we'll get to it. Then we'll get exactly. to it. Come on, you remember Clippy? <laughs> right. Oh my God. 
I mean, I think those of us who understand and remember Clippy, just thinking about that little bouncing bugger kind of brings joy to your heart, right? I am really in the deep end right now with my technology colleagues, let me tell you. <laughs> we promised we wouldn't get too techy on you, and yeah, here we are. I know, right? Oh my God, there you go. So what I have to do, and I think the core of our discussion is what you and I as humans and as peers and colleagues have figured out is that when the tech team and the business team work together, the school's are so much better off. And you hit on that a moment ago as you're talking about us being customer service providers, that we have a clientele within our schools that we aim to deliver. And together, we can be very powerful. So I'd love to just kind of give you the floor for a minute, Jeff, to tell us a little bit about, you know, that relationship has evolved. I don't know about you, but I love it when I go to a school and I come across a tech leader who has an incredibly strong relationship with their business office. It's just so awesome for the students. So talk to me a little bit about how that relationship is today and and how really it should be. Oh, absolutely. Well, I mean, and I'll definitely focus on the business officer and technology leader relationship. But the biggest issue I've come across in my career since working with independent schools is everyone talking about how siloed we are, whether it's faculty from staff, whether it's advancement from admissions, whether it's the CFO in technology, that we're all siloed. And it's interesting to me, how does that happen? Because I can't imagine that a head of school comes in and says, I don't want any of you to talk to each other. I just want you to drill down in your own offices and do your work and don't collaborate. Yeah, that doesn't make sense. Yeah, don't collaborate. Yeah, independent schools, we don't talk to each other. (laughs) Right, and we're such tight communities in so many ways. So I think organizations, and I don't think it's just independent schools, I think organizations can tend towards that. But my larger message is that if we all agree that that's not the most effective way to lead an independent school, then why keep doing it? And I do think having opportunities like this gives us a chance to talk about the CFO IT relationship. And I used an example a while ago is that every school has a strategic plan. I think technology is always a central part of a school strategic plan. How are we going to harness technology to do XYZ, fill in the goal, fill in the objective, but technology has a place in almost everything we do from facilities construction, from changing the pedagogy, from greater, like I was talking about earlier, greater efficiencies in the business office, AI, and all of its promise. So, I mean, technology is pervasive. And so I think it's a huge opportunity really led by the head of school and trustees. What is our plan? What are we trying to achieve? And then the IT person saying, how can I help advance that strategy? How can I do what I do around technology? How does that support it? And then make sure they're in step with the CFO to say, where can we find the resources to do it and do it really well? I just think it starts there. And I can't think of a CFO or IT professional that doesn't want to have that conversation versus the day-to-day minutia that we can all get caught up in, which is very necessary, but doesn't really drive us, right? That's not where the excitement is. The excitement is, I want to take my school from here to here. And what's really cool is, I think CFOs and ITs can see that. I think CFOs can see it when they've moved to school that was maybe financially fragile to financially thriving. I think an IT professional can see a school that, wow, I helped them implement this. And now we're able to do this and have this impact on students. I mean, it's so 
palpable. So I think we just need to take advantage of it. But we have to have that conversation because if the ideas are there from IT, but the resources aren't, then that's a no-go, right? And if we're spending money on things that aren't going to move the needle, even though they're the flavor of the month from an IT standpoint, that's not good either. That's money out the door. So I really think that partnership and that communication is critical. I love that. It's high stakes. It really is. You know, this is where your view of leadership, I mean, really, that is the definition of leadership, right? That partnership is what we owe our schools. It's certainly what our heads of school deserve, because that is not an easy job. I know that, Jeff, you and your team have contributed a chapter to a book that Atlas is producing on leadership, and we couldn't think of a more perfect person We also invited you to be our keynote speaker at our annual conference this year in April. We'll be in Reno, and we've invited you to the main stage because we think that this message that you're carrying around the partnership and breaking down these silos is really the true definition of the leadership that our schools deserve. So multiple hats off to you in that vein, because I really think that it seems so simple, and yet we kind of get in our own way sometimes. We're stressed out. We're human. I think all of us are crunched for time at our schools. We have to remember that. Everyone's well-intended, and the daily task to-do list can really take us over. But I think it's so important for everyone, especially everyone on that head's administrative team, to make sure they carve out the time to be strategic, take that pause, take a step back out of the day-to-day and think about what am I really, what is my overarching goal for this year? What do I want to look back on this year and accomplish? And how does that support the overall strategy of the head and the trustees and the school overall? And I'm very grateful for your invitation. And I'm really looking forward to being with your colleagues and your community in Reno in April. We generally have a pretty good time, don't we, Hiram? I bet you do. If Hiram is an example of it, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. That's what I think. There is no loss of fun. (laughs) Yes, exactly. (laughs) So I want to come to another area of your expertise, Jeff, and that's in governance. So you started your career. You're an association management professional. You are a certified association executive, and you've served in leadership positions in the association community. And so I'm going to guess you're pretty good at governance. I'm curious how that has evolved either through the like lens of NBOA, like how has in the time that you've been there, I'm sure that you have a, a great relationship with your board and that you're, there's a lot of trust there. So how has your governance sort of evolved? And do you think that it sort of sets an example when these business officers go back and have their own governance challenges at their schools? Obviously, associations are different than schools. But there's a shared independent board structure, and it can be a very powerful partnership. So what are your thoughts on kind of where governance is today? And I think that like you're talking about all these HR challenges, the onset and the wide sweeping acceptance now of AI, trustees are like, oh my goodness, what am I supposed to be involved in? What am I not supposed to be involved in? What are your thoughts on kind of where we are governance-wise? To your point, I love governance I think I'm a nerd for governance. And I just think, especially when you're in the seat I'm in and the seat you're in, it's just really important. And I always talk to my staff about it because sometimes the staff and the staff in schools can think the function of the board of trustees or the function of the board of directors is quite opaque, right? It's mysterious. It's something that happens in a room on a Monday night or, you know, we go to this great location and we have a meeting. But I tell my staff, 
I invest most of my time in governance, my relationship with the board chair, my focus on succession planning of board leadership, and the relationship with the board, because you never know when we need to draw from that account, when we have to draw from the bank. And I tell them, the reason why we can move towards this big initiative, the Max Compensation Project, for example. And the reason why we can get board support is because we've made those investments. We've built that trust. We spent that time. And so that's the dividend that we get paid during the pandemic when things are really rough and inflation starting to go through the roof. That's when we can say, you know what? We need a higher than average staff salary increase because that's where we're at. And we're going to have to draw from that account. So I can't underestimate. That would be the best advice I could give a future CEO. And I'll tell you, my CEO at Nakubo, when I took this job, said, remember, Jeff, it's all about relationships. And I've taken that to heart. And so I invest a lot of time. Relationships take time. And so that's number one. But you know what, Christina? I still learn something new about governance. I think at least every year, and we implement something new with governance. Um, Right now, our board talks about pace and space. And this is kind of in the under the rubric of our commitment to DEI. So this is out under inclusiveness. So we're trying to pay attention at our board meetings to pace and space to make sure that we're as inclusive a board as possible, that everyone finds their footing and has the entree to participate. So, you know, there's always just things that we're constantly working to improve, to enhance and All of my members are in the boardroom, so they know what good governance looks like. They also know what bad governance looks like, and they don't want to replicate that in their professional association. But they're they're so eager to learn. And yes, I would say the highest compliment I get is when board members hate to leave the board when they term out, or when a board member or a board chair says, we do this at the MBA board meeting, and I brought it back to my school, and they love it. What's better than that? What's better than that? You're totally right. I love pace and space. That's incredible. Pace and space. I got that from one of our board members. Yep. Joe Carter, who's the VP of business development for United Educators. They contributed to our white paper. Pace and space. We've been ruminating on that. And what does that look like? Because we're so efficient sometimes, we leave people out. Everyone thinks and learns and communicates differently. So we need to, sometimes we just need to slow it down. Sometimes it's okay to have a 30 minute break and let the ideas churn a little bit before you come back in the boardroom. Oh, I love that. That Okay. Really cool. Love that. Resonates on every level. I know you're going to hate this, but I got to bring up the fact that you have an award named after you. Okay. See, I know you're shaking your head. You're upset about it. Not upset about it. I'm humbled by it. Right. <laughs> was not my idea, by the way. Well, I'm sure it wasn't. It was not. I think it speaks to the impact that you've had. Let's phrase the question this way. Tell us about the award, but I think that it comes from a place, at least as I've observed and I've experienced myself, you have it so deep in your soul to be a great mentor. Whether you're helping me come into the community or whether you are helping your board members find their pace and space. So if you could just tell us a little bit about, is it the Jeffrey Shields Innovation Award? For school business operations, yes. Unbelievable. It goes to a school. It's our only award that goes to a school, not to an individual, which is great because our members like Atlas, our members are schools, not individuals. I'm humbled by it. It was the way the board decided to recognize my 10 years of service at MBA. It was very generous of them. We give out a lot of awards named after people 
who are still with us. And so sometimes that's a little awkward, but there's nothing more awkward than talking about an award that is named after you. But I'll tell you what I think about when I think about the award, and it's not that. What I think about when I think about that award is it gives us a platform and an opportunity to talk about the innovation that's happening in our schools. So just like I highlighted from the Max Compensation Project around comp and benefits, what makes me fulfilled the most about that award is that it gives us a chance to spotlight schools that are doing really great things in business, finance, and operations. So I'm really pleased. See mentorship. You like the mentorship. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. And I, I love telling those stories because I'm so proud of our schools and I'm so proud of the work that our members are doing. And we didn't have an award like that. You know, we had a lot of individual achievement awards, which are wonderful and well-deserved. And folks work at these schools for 10, 20, 30 years and do amazing work. They've really put blood, sweat, and tears into their job. But this was a chance to say, you're doing something really special and unique and other schools can learn from you. If you can do it, maybe another school can do it or do something similar with the resources they have. So that's what makes me most happy about that award. Jeff, if I take all these little nuggets here, I mean, there is no doubt I'm already bringing back some of them here in Richmond, Virginia, in terms of imitation being the greatest form of flattery. (laughs) I love the pace and space in light of how I hear so many tech directors talking about scope creep. And it's really important sometimes to take a step back. So in your world, you've got your crystal ball. Bill Stites is sending it to you from Spain. Yeah. Nice. And so we want to get a sense of what do you see coming down the pipeline in the short-term future? And then I'm going to ask you perhaps five years down the road, what do you envision? So I'll say we've covered the short-term, I think. And again, I hope this doesn't make me sound like a dinosaur, but the whole AI conversation reminds me of when the internet and websites really started to take off. And Christina, I know you were probably in junior high. I was not, but thank you. (laughs) Okay, okay. okay. But I was working for associations. And do you know what we were talking about? We were saying, oh my gosh, we're not going to have jobs. Right. The web is going to put us out of business. No one's going to need associations anymore because all the information is readily available because that's what we did, right? We curated information and now they're going to have access to it and we're going to be wiped out. A colleague of mine says associations are like sharks and cockroaches, like nothing can kill us. And it's because people want to connect with people who do what they do, who understand them and who value what they value. And so that's why associations, I think, will live past it. But anyway, so I think the impact of AI is something we should very much be exploring, thinking about how do we harness it to realize greater efficiency and better serve our students and families and our internal customers as well, faculty, staff, administrators. So I think we have to figure that out. I think in the long-term, schools thriving schools will see that they become increasingly more entrepreneurial in their approach to the work, the business model of the school. And I think we're going to see, and we see it now, a lot of the innovation awards are going to schools that really looked at themselves and said, what do we do really well? How can we monetize it to generate non-tuition revenue that really makes a difference at our school? That's some of the early award recipients have done that. What do we already do? How do we monetize it? And I think those conversations are going to continue because the pressure on tuition is not going to subside, right? That will continue to increase. And yet we know, I often say we're in the ultimate people business. People aren't going to get less expensive. People only get more expensive. So we can't artificially 
restrain tuition and think we can still grow people. We can still hire high quality uh, faculty and staff. So I think we have to find different ways to fortify the system, different ways to feed the system. And I think schools will become increasingly more entrepreneurial and find non-tuition revenue streams to help strengthen the business model, take pressure off of fundraising, financial aid, and tuition budgets. That's what I see five years from now. I think we'll be talking more about that. And I think every school will have their own story. Every school will say, here's what we're doing. What are you doing? Oh, well, we decided to do this. And I think it'll be really exciting, an exciting time. And I think IT professionals can play a key role in that. Yeah, and I have no doubt that NBOA and Atlas will be there to help share their stories. I love that. Right on. You know, I really like the way that your brain works, Jeff. I love how you think. And as we start to wrap up this conversation, I would love to know, as we're in this period of transition, you know, it's the end of the year, we're going through the holidays. And so it's always a period of reflection. So you, Jeff Shields, what are you reflecting on from your past year? And what do you think? I mean, I don't know if you're a resolutions kind of a guy. I tend not to be. I'm more of like a goal setting kind of a person. But as you look ahead to the next year, just in your own space and in your own personal aspirations, what are you thinking about? It's so interesting. I hope this doesn't come off too corny or self-serving, but I'm at a space where I really love what I do. I love who I do it with and I love who I do it for. So I'm just really grateful for that because I know too many people that have the Sunday dreads where they think about their work week. I don't have the Sunday dreads. I mean, work is work, right? We work hard, but I don't have the Sunday dreads. I go after it like I'm breathing. I go after it like, you know, I'm walking. So I'm just so grateful that I'm in a profession and I work within a membership that I I just have so much respect for. I just have so much respect for the work our members do. And it's I'm just incredibly grateful for that. I can't see myself doing anything different right now. So I guess that's a good feeling. So I'm just full of gratitude. You know, I love Thanksgiving. I like it. It's probably my favorite holiday for that reason. I guess my resolution, if anyone would join me in a resolution, is that let's just stop being too hard on ourselves, right? Let's give ourselves a break. We do really great things for students and families every single day. And just breathe and recognize that enough. I know we've got a million problems, and I know some of them are big, and I know we have to address them. But I just don't think we take enough time to say, look at how I changed, I don't know, this student, this family, help this colleague today. I think it happens a million times. I just don't think we breathe and take enough to do that. And I'm I'm saying it to our community as much as I should say it to myself because I'm a little hyper. But that would be a resolution as we look into the next year. I love that. And you know what? It leads me perfectly into our final um, Hiram Knows. And usually our other co-host, Bill, is with us. I always like to ask at least one question for everyone on the podcast. And so we're going to go light and fluffy this week because we are recording the week of Thanksgiving. Jeff, what you just said about gratitude and just going to work happy, it just really touched my heart. Like I got a little misty because I feel that way too. It makes me so happy that you said that out loud. So thank you so much. So my question, of course, in the space of gratitude, I need to know from each of you, what flavor pie are you cutting first and what are you most grateful for? Hiram. Pecan pie. Pecan pie? Really? Yes. Love it. Love pecan pie. That's not what would be my first guess. That's awesome. 
I'm going to let you have that whole pie. That's not my favorite. Really? Oh, I enjoy pecan pie. Okay, you and Jeff can fight over the pecan pie. With vanilla ice cream, right, Hiram? It has to have vanilla ice cream. Absolutely. Pumpkin pie has to have whipped cream, but yes, pecan pie has to have vanilla ice cream. Yeah. This has gotten very specific. But that's not my pie. My pie is cherry pie. I'm in this big cherry pie space. Cherry pie is very good. I know. I just love it. I just love it. That's my pie. For me, I'm allergic to gluten. And so whatever pie is the gluten-free pie that my doting darling mother makes for me specifically, away from all the other pie crust, that's my pie. (laughs) I don't even know what's in it. You're still her little girl. Mm -hmm. There you go. That's awesome. What are you guys grateful for this year? What are you saying thanks for? For me, it's my new extended family. My daughter just got married, and it's so wonderful to have the Cuevas Dragoni clans together. That's awesome. It's not professionally related, it's personally related, but my daughter is 17. She's a senior in high school. She's looking at colleges. I'm just beside myself thinking, when did this happen? How did she get to be 17? How is it possible she's going to college a year from now? I can't believe but I'm so immensely proud of my bold, sassy, smart, beautiful daughter. And I'm very grateful for her. I love that. And that's exactly, I'm going to go right with that because my youngest two are 18 and then I have 20 and 22. They come home from college, Jeff. Oh my gosh. Does that feel amazing? I will share with you that at Thanksgiving, they come home. It makes my heart so happy. Oh, They bring a lot of laundry. I'm a little afraid what's in that laundry, but there's a lot of OxyClean. (laughs) (laughs) But I am so happy that they come home. Do you know what you just did? You gave me something to look forward to. That's the silver lining. So this time next year, she'll be coming home for Thanksgiving, maybe for the first time, depending on where she goes to school and what a great feeling it's going to be. So thank you for that. Absolutely. She will come with a lot of laundry. (laughs) And Jeff, I would be remiss. I also have a senior in high school going through the college process. And and she's already said, this is, I'll be coming home from college next year, dad. It's crazy. And I'm like, yep, you're right. She's my caboose. Goes so fast. Just like this hour, gentlemen, this has been so great. It's gone so fast. Jeff, you guys are working on some incredible things. I know we didn't even scratch the surface on all the incredible benefits that you bring to the independent school community. So you are welcome back anytime. Thank you. I can't wait to celebrate you on the main stage with the Atlas community. I know they're going to love you and love your insight. Yes. I've got some ideas about that I want to talk to you about, some ways to mix it up. Perfect. Have our listeners write in. What do you guys want to know from Jeff? Because he'll be with us in Reno. So write your questions in and we'll feed them into our keynote speaker's inbox. (laughs) You got it. Guys, thank you so much, Jeff. Thank you for your time, especially in this holiday week. We're so grateful for you and for NBOA. Everybody, thank you for joining us once again for Talking Technology with Atlas. Until next time, guys, happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. Thank you all. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. This has been Talking Technology with Atlas, produced by the Association of Technology Leaders and Independent Schools. For more information about Atlas and Atlas membership, please visit theatlas.org. If you enjoyed this discussion, please subscribe, leave a review, and share this podcast with your colleagues in the independent school community. Thank you for listening.